All right, well, I'm 63 years old today, but I have the greatest joy is that I have truly known the love of God for me now for almost 50 years of knowing truly how much Jesus Christ personally loved me. God loved me that he sent his son Jesus to go to the cross on my behalf. Uh, I came to a real true faith in Jesus uh, in during eighth grade. My The early years of my salvation were in the midst of changing educational environments because uh, I was baptized here in the spring of 1975. I was 14 years old, a new follower of Jesus Christ, excited to know that uh, I didn't have to be afraid of death anymore, and I didn't have to pay the price for my own sin Jesus had. Uh, but also that year, I ended up graduating eight years of Catholic school right across the street. So I finished up those eight years, and as a new believer, I entered Maple Shade High School my freshman year, <clears throat> was only there a year, and was transferred. I transferred uh, my sophomore year to Baptist High School in Haddon Heights. So I went from Baptist, excuse me, Catholic school to public school to Baptist High, and uh, the schooling changing. Uh, but boy, you know, I remember that first year at Baptist High, my, my sophomore year, I, you know, maybe some of the other kids had been having in Bible classes their whole life. I sat in the very front row for Bible class, not for earth science and geometry, and, you know, but for Bible class. Man, Mr. John Ball, he's with the Lord now, phenomenal Bible teacher. And uh, the first time I ever studied the book of Acts, and it just was alive and whew, my sophomore year. I learned also, uh, I had an experience my sophomore year that um, uh, whether it, it taught me about collateral damage, it certainly made me feel it a bit more. Uh, collateral damage when we mean to do something or don't mean to, but it ends up hurting more than we thought around us. <clears throat> and... Uh, I, uh, that year, um, Baptist High had, I don't know if they did it every year, but they had a rented out a roller skating rink. And when they rented out that roller skating rink, it allowed us, they took the whole school. Now, at that point, we were only ninth to 12th grade. And, uh, but we, we, you know, roughly 50 kids per class, probably 180 to 200 kids were there. And uh, there was a particular girl I liked. And I can tell you this, some of you have heard the story, but I know clearly she was wearing uh, cream-colored corduroy pants that day. And uh, what, what unfolded was we went to, did the skating, and they would stop it about two-thirds of the way through and have a devotional, a speaker share and challenge us. And so we all had to sit down on the rink, and I remember them saying, come on, get close to each other. And uh, you don't have to say that to me. You know, and I, I got kind of hip to hip with her sitting there. And I remember as the devotional was ending, getting up and thinking, I can't, what, what is this? Where'd the ink on my hand? Where'd this come from, this ink? And you know, what? sometimes when you have ink on your hand, you just instinctively reach into your pockets, right? Where, where's this coming from? And I reached into this right pocket and realized, oh, no, and pulled out this broken pen. Now, I was wearing blue pants just like this, and it was a blue pen. Now, oh, oh, and the ink's all over. 
an initial moment of embarrassment, you know, and, and I even looked down at the roll at the roller rink floor and there was some ink on the skating floor. Ah, oh, let me get to the bathroom. And I'm headed to the bathroom and as I am, that moment of embarrassment was was quickly, you know how your mind's synapses are happening. I realized, wait a minute, like I was sitting right next to her, and just as I'm heading off, I hear her friend saying to her, what is that all over your pants? There's blue all over the side of your pants. And I skated as fast as I could <laughs> into the men's room. How am I going to deal with the shame of this collateral damage, right? Collateral damage being the pen broke in my pocket, but it didn't just damage my pants. Matter of fact, it was worse on hers because... They were cream-colored corduroys, and I was just wearing some dark blue khakis, right? I remember being in the bathroom and that sense of, ah, what do I, how do I, ah, you know. And uh, one of my friends who liked one of her friends went and told her that I was in the bathroom trying to get all the ink off of my pants. And I don't remember us talking about it. I do remember that week her friend telling me that we were broken up. I remember that. I remember that the relationship was over, whether it was the pen or how I handled the aftermath, right? Collateral damage. Collateral damage. Sometimes we don't mean it. You may be walking in the office and you trip on the rug and you hit the person who's holding the coffee and it spills on the desk and wipes out, you know, the sales report or whatever and all, uh, you know, all this, it was all an accident. Sometimes... We mean to hurt that person and have no thoughts when we're doing it how far that hurt is going to travel, the collateral damage, what, what, what it's going to... Sometimes we don't think about decisions. We don't even mean to hurt somebody. We just make a decision against God in our lives. It's my life. I can decide what I'm going to do. No thoughts of how it's impacting all those other lives that are connected to ours. Collateral damage. We're going to see some examples of it today in 2 Samuel. We're going to conclude by sharing the Lord's table and being reminded of what Jesus can do. Uh, he is not bound by our collateral damage. Uh, what he can do with our brokenness. But let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for this passage. Sometimes we hear the phrase collateral damage and we may think about armies dropping bombs or unintended consequences of laws or protests that get out of hand. Or, Lord, uh, let our focus today be us. Let it be the collateral damage that... Uh, we may be responsible for at times. And just help us to see the passage and the reality of it and how you can uh, work through it in our lives. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> We're in like 2 Samuel 3. That's really where we are. <clears throat> but to see the collateral damage, uh, sometimes you have to see where it's initiated. 
And so I want us to first see 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. Those of you who have been with us while we're studying 2 Samuel, you may remember this. King Saul dies. Abner is his com the commander of his army. And what does Abner do in verse 8? He takes Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and verse 9, he makes him king over Gilead. Abner knows that God has anointed David to be the next king over all Israel. Abner says, I am going to seek to damage David. I'm, I want to hurt his ability to be king over all the land. And so I'm going to put Ishbosheth in place of these northern tribes. How much does Abner think it through? I don't know. Did he think, oh, yeah, there'll be some people hurt in this, but it shouldn't be very many. But Abner takes this action to try to stop David. Ultimately, in verse 12, Abner sends the army out to stop any advance by David to come north. Verse 14 of 2 Samuel chapter 2, you remember we saw that where Abner says, hey, I got an idea, let's have a 12 on 12. Our 12 against your 12. And uh, again, has he thought it through? You know, I've, I, I've shared before, when I went to Catholic school across the street, there would be days we'd say, all right, we're gonna, somebody would call, we, I, hey, I called him out. That meant we're going to have a fight, right? And the fight was going to be in the Baptist church parking lot. And it was. We would come around here. We're right out there by our doors because, you know, the nuns couldn't see it, you know, and, 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 and there'd be the fight, you know. But our fights in Maple Shade, one guy's getting, all right, that's it. He, he, you, you, you hit him in the nose a few times. He's bleeding. Fight's over, right? At least the ones that I was involved in or else I ran away, right? <laughs> but but this, this one gets out of hand or maybe it was intended, but all 24 kill each other. Did Abner foresee that collateral damage? I don't think so. And now it ends up in war. And in the war, Abner's side loses the war. <clears throat> and what happens as a result in verse 18? Now the three sons of Zeruah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as swift-footed as one of the gazelles which is in the field. Asahel pursued Abner and did not turn to the right or to the left from following Abner. Abner looked behind him and said, Is that you, Asahel? And he answered, It is. Abner said to him, Turn to your right or to your left. Take hold of one of the young men for yourself. Take for yourself his spoil. But Asahel was not willing to turn aside from following him. I don't play a lot of video games, but I every so often will pull out my old computer that has my Age of Empires 3 on it. I don't know what, where that ever went and got to, but you know, and uh, it, you know, I, 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 I remember learning the game and you know, so you get my little villagers and go get some uh, rocks and some wood and trees. Let's start to build some things. And, and I remember thinking I was ready to play online and I, I finally went online and um, you know, I got about six or seven villagers and we're getting some gold and all of a sudden a, a, a Corvette comes driving across the screen with a double machine gun drilling all my little farmers and I'm thinking a Corvette this is the 1500s what, what's going on and of course my son <clears throat> taught me about cheat codes which I knew nothing about that somebody I was playing against just hit a cheat code and was wiping out all of my people and I don't play online anymore but when when you do play the game you find out that there's you know if you if you're riding the Calvary Calvary are very fast 
And they'll tell you that. The Calvary's quick. The Calvary's faster than a, a real imperial halberdier. He can catch the halberdier, but, but he's not going to kill him. As a matter of fact, I Googled it, and one guy literally ran all the scenarios. He Googled, how many Calvary do you need to beat a halberdier? And it turned out you needed eight of them to be able to beat a halberdier. You know, was, I know this is meaningless, and you don't have to put this in your notes. But the point I'm trying to give you is this picture of the real quick Calvary, but the halberdier is just way too powerful. Asahel is the Calvary. And Abner is the halberdier. <clears throat> and Abner's saying, look, I don't want to have to kill you. I don't want, go fight somebody weaker. How would I answer your brother, Joab? Because Abner and Joab served together in Saul's army. But what's the result? Verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the belly with the butt end of the spear so that the spear came out at his back, and he fell there and died on the spot. In other words, verse 23 is the collateral damage of verse 9. That was set in motion. When Abner decided, I'm going to try to hurt David, he set in motion events that he had no idea that it was going to, the collateral damage was going to be, he was going to have to kill young Asahel, Joab's brother. But that's, that's what he said in motion, right? Sometimes we have no idea what's, what it is that we are setting in motion, what it is that we are causing, what it is that we're stirring up. When I was a young believer in Christ and one of the areas that I struggled was in basketball. We had a church basketball league. And we all, whenever we fouled each other, we'd say, God bless you, brother. You didn't mean that. I forgive you in the name of Jesus. No, we didn't. If, I'm, I'm joking. In case you're thinking, wow, I never played in a league like that. No. Our sin nature's got going. And, uh, you know, and, and I can remember we were playing against one team, Bible Press of Collingswood, and that guy's pushing me, and we're losing, and I'm getting frustrated, and the refs are being so unfair in my mind. And eventually, as this kid, I got in a fist fight. And I'm, I'm, here I am in a fist fight in the church basketball league. I got kicked out of the game. And, you know, fast forward four years, and I'm at Philadelphia College of Bible. I was on the soccer team, and this particular gal, we weren't dating her. She was on the uh, field hockey team. We were getting to know each other, growing in a friendship. And one time, we're, one night, we're having dinner at, in the cafeteria. And as we're talking, she just stopped and said, I, I can't believe we're friends. And I was like, that was like out of the box. What? You, you don't remember, like... I went to Bible Presbyterian Church. I was at those games that where, where, where you were playing. We hated you. We thought you were a nut. We would make fun of you. We would say, look at that guy. He, man, it's, you, we could get him to lose his temper. He's crazy. He's nuts. She says, and I can't believe you're the guy that I'm now friends with. <laughs> She's now my wife's boss, by the way, you know, so... <laughs> <clears throat> but, but I, you know, you know I, I, I remember at that moment thinking, you know, this is the first time I ever stop. You may think, well, that was really immature of you. But uh, the first time that I ever stop to think about anybody other than who was on the court. All my focus was on them, the guys I was playing, the ref. No thought about the collateral damage that was happening 
those who were watching and looking at me and where my reputation was going in their eyes, I just didn't think about it. No thought given to it. Abner doesn't think about the collateral damage. And it continues on because in verse 23, uh, eventually we read, it came about that all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. That One of those people is Joab. His brother eventually comes and sees his brother Asahel killed there by Abner. And now Abner's actions have triggered collateral damage in Joab. Collateral damage that is going to be what we... I would refer to as boomerang collateral damage. Because if you move ahead, if you remember last week, David and Abner, Abner says, David, I'm going to stop trying to stop you. I'm going to give the northern kingdom to you so that you can be king over all of Israel. And David says, okay, Abner, let's have peace. But we get to verse 23 of chapter 3. 2 Samuel 3 and verse 23, and there we read, when Joab and all the army that was with him arrived, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away. He's gone in peace. Joab said, what? He killed my brother. Joab goes to the king. What do you mean you sent him away in peace? What? You know, and what is, happens in verse 26, when Joab came out from David, he sent messengers after Abner. They brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David did not know it. So when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the middle of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the belly, so that he died on account of the blood of Asahel, his brother. When Abner said, I'm going to stop David, and I'm going to take some steps to hurt David, no idea that the collateral damage was going to be that he was going to have to kill Asahel, no idea that the collateral damage to that was going to come all the way back around through Asahel's brother Joab and kill Abner. Sometimes in life our sin causes boomerang collateral damage. We seek to injure someone and that injury we cause travels through other lives and eventually comes back and wounds us. There's one other life I know i got to keep moving, but one other life I want to just mention because it's really a, a pathetic event. In 1 Samuel 19, uh, when Saul was still king, Saul had made uh, Michael his daughter. He had given her to David to be David's wife. When Saul then turned against David and was trying to kill David, and David ran away, Saul decided, I'm going to take his wife, after, in chapter 19, he tries to kill David at home, and Michael, David's wife, helps David get away. So Saul decides later in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, and verse 44, well, that I'm going to take her, and I'm going to give her to another man as his wife. Verse 44, now Saul 1 Samuel 25, 44, had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. And uh, so now we've got Palti, who's in a marriage relationship with Michael, who is actually David's wife. And now we move ahead to 2 Samuel chapter 3, and there's going to be peace in the kingdom. And David says, okay, if we're going to have peace, I want my wife Michael back. 
and we read there in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 15, Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping as he went, and followed her as far as Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, Go. And you talk about a pathetic scene. You talk about collateral damage. It's often, it's easier caused, obviously, with those, the more power you have, the more collateral damage you can cause, right? But it can be caused by any of us. It can be caused by the weakest link, right? But, but this guy, Paul T.L., here he is. I, I, I just see him there on the road. I do what? My wife, you're And, and psh, he's powerless. Collateral damage. When Saul decided, I'm going to make David suffer, the collateral damage was he was going to actually making this guy, Paul T.L., suffer deeply, right? How it can hurt. And we read this and we read the damage and it's painful and you say, wow, thanks. It's great to be here today, right? But I don't want it to be just that. I want you to know we have a God who uh, can deal with it. He's not bound by our collateral damage. We have a God who can Imp turn the impact on our life and on others. In the Old Testament, it's that incredible passage where Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You meant tremendous damage and collateral damage on me, but God was able to take all of that and use it. That's what Paul says to the Romans, right? That we know that God can make all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That our God is able to say, Vincent, don't bury yourself. You can sit and think about all the collateral damage you've caused in different things and ways in life. Know this, bring it all to the cross and confess it because I can forgive you of all of it and I can literally work through it. I can change it. But lest that cause us to say, oh, okay, so we can live however we want and God will clean up the mess, right? I, I want to, in these last, whatever, 10 minutes, uh, get... Uh, some exhortations to us. The first one may be obvious. Consider the collateral damage before you cause it. Now, this week, I say, I'm saying that to myself, and I'm thinking, oh, that's great now, but there's, there's, things, there's collateral damage I've caused. That, you know, we'll get to that. Right? But, but when you have the opportunity, consider the collateral damage before you cause it. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, what? Here's the fruit that I want to put in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we hear those words, love, peace, patience, self-control. And these words are all words that are opposite of any mentality of I am who I am and I'm going to just go forward as full speed ahead, wrecking ball mode. The Spirit says to us, no. Listen to the words of James, as James tells us, right, in, 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 in his letter, James chapter 1, toward the Old of the New Testament. What does he say in James 1.19? This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. We could spend the rest of the day in the Proverbs, right? Proverbs 14 and verse 16. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. Proverbs 15 and verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. And sometimes it means, before I take that action, who's it going to hurt? Oh, I may be wanting to hurt this person here, but don't be fooled in thinking that's where the hurt is going to be stopped and limit. But what's it going to do to the harmony, to the unity of, of, of our church, of your team, of your family, of your business? What, you know, what, what, what's the potential collateral damage. I think we see that in David, that stopping to consider. Remember when he knew, don't touch God's anointed. There was Saul, and there was David's army saying, he's sleeping. God's giving him to you to kill him. He's trying to kill you. Kill him. David knows I have to honor the Lord, and he had anointed Saul. He's anointed me. I got to wait on the Lord. But he also knew what? David knew the potential collateral damage. I, I am to reign as a righteous king, and if I become king through killing the previous king, how am I going to manage the kingdom, right? That sense of stop and consider what's going to unfold. I remember Abraham Lincoln's quote, I don't have it memorized, but during the Civil War of reminding those around him, we are going to have to govern as one nation. So it's, it's not winner takes all. We, we are going to have to remember that we've got to get past this, right? Consider the collateral damage. But there's a second thing, obviously. Correct the collateral damage that you may have caused if you can. Now, I love the passage in Luke chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter says, you're not taking Jesus, gets his sword, off goes the ear of Malchus, you know, and the, one of the, the enemies, so to speak, there on the battlefield of the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, Peter, stop. He picks up Malchus's ear and he heals it on the spot. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it before, but I believe if Jesus didn't do that, we may have had less disciples coming out of the garden. That, that it very easily could have resulted, with, if he's there screaming and you know, that with just you know, some bloodshed and the soldiers there wiping out uh, half, if not all, of the apostles of Jesus. Jesus immediately deals with the collateral damage. He stops it. He prevents it is what I'm saying. And boy, would I love to have him do that in my life. Anytime I do something that I don't think about the consequences, if he went, oh, hang on, everything, pause, undo this, undo that, undo this, all that you know, potential collateral damage is, is done away with. That's not what he does. What he does is he gives us words of healing. In Matthew chapter 5, 
He says to us in verse 23, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Zacchaeus does that. You may not word it, collateral damage, but Zacchaeus has lived a selfish life. He knows he's mistreated people. The collateral damage is not only do they hate them, everybody, as soon as they hear his name, hates him. Oh, he's a tax collector. All of that collateral damage ruined relationships. And Jesus comes into his life, and everybody hates the fact that Jesus is coming to him because they all hate Zacchaeus. Jesus changes Zacchaeus. He forgives him. He gives him new life through faith. And what does Zacchaeus say? The first thing I want to do if I can, if I'm able, I want to correct the collateral damage that I've caused. I took too much from you. Here, I want to give back. I took too much from you. Here, if I'm able, I want to correct it. Some years back, I was the pastor of the church, but it was early in my time as the pastor. I was driving out Coles Avenue to the church church. Road Fire, you know, the Church Road Fire Company there, we Church Circle, whatever you called it, you know, that, uh, you know, now we got the McDonald's and Wawa there, and they've ruined that whole circle for me. They backed up the traffic and all. But, um, you know, it, it, it was, it, I remember pulling up behind a car and clearly thinking, all right, what, that, there's plenty of gap there. You didn't go. Okay, you'll see. And a couple cars, there's a gap. You didn't go. And I remembered in my classes for getting your permit that if you're behind somebody and they don't go when you want them to, you should pull up onto their bumper real close. I remember <laughs> reading that in, 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 in the... You may, I know, you, you, obviously that's more Vince's Sin Nature book. And so up on the bumper I went. I'm on the bumper now of this car and, I, and I'm going to make clear, like, okay, you can... You, and I even saw the person look in the mirror. Wow, that guy behind me is close. And he didn't go. All right, I saw another little opening. Yeah, just beep, beep. You know, give that little nice friendly. Beep, beep. Didn't go. And so at that point, you're, how much of a gap do you need? And, and the eyes looked up in the mirror at me. And it was a man named Russell Wall. <laughs> now, those of you who know Russell Wall, dear, dear man from our church. Dear man. I'm his pastor. And he's looking in his rearview mirror. And I went. <laughs> I got home. And when I got home, I'm tr trying to forget about it. And I was listening to my Scott Wesley Brown album. And he sang these words. Sometimes I'm reminded that in myself I'm weak. When I find it hard to live the words I speak. Oh, in church, it's often easy to wear the servant's mask. But driving home, I push and shove to keep from being last. And, and, and as Scott Wesley Brown sang, pray for me. I just stood there, Lord. Have I caused collateral damage 
that Russell Wall is going to have a hard time listening to his pastor preach. I came to church that week, and I went right up to Russell. I said, Russell, I, I, this week, did you have somebody on your bumper, at, you know, at this? Oh, well, you know, I said it was me. And I wasn't waving high. I was impatient. And I, I ask you to forgive me. And he said, Pastor Vince, I didn't know it was you, but, but thank you for making it right, right? If you're able to correct the collateral damage you've caused, take, take the steps to do it. Lastly, care for those victims of collateral damage of others. It may not have been you that caused it. I look at Paul T. Ellen here, and I just, I, man, I want to go... I see him on the road just going home without his wife. And I just want to say, oh. Jesus says, Vince, I didn't call you to care for Paul Tiel. He, he isn't here anymore. Who is my neighbor, Lord, is what the disciples said. And he said, let me tell you about a certain individual who was beat up by life and left there. And some of the religious folks walked on the other side of the road and the Samaritan stopped, right? Jesus says, Vincent, who's on your road? Who do you know that's the victim of domestic abuse? Who do you know that's being bullied? Who do you know? Maybe that's been beat up religiously. Maybe it's been the church fighting for power and they've seen that battle for power and they just have decided... If that's Jesus, I don't want it. I think about that in John chapter 9 when the religious leaders are fighting over power and they're beating up this. Jesus heals a blind guy. And instead of celebrating that he has sight, they're just beating him up. They're, ah, who are you to tell us? You don't know anything. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue. At the very end of John Chapter 9, we read in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. Finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. I don't know who's on the road around you. I don't know what lives God has made you aware of that have been victims of collateral damage. Maybe they're not in the church anymore. Maybe they're not in any church. I think about the words Steve Green sang a couple decades ago. Come let us pour the oil. Come let us bind their hurt. Let's cover them with a blanket of Christ's love. Come let us break the bread. Come let us give them rest. Let's minister healing to them. Don't let another wounded soldier die. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these words and this truth, give us the courage to ask you to show us the collateral damage that we have caused and where it may be that we can correct it. Give us the comfort to face the collateral damage that we've experienced, but find healing in you and be able to know that we're not, we don't have to be victims. We can be around. 
Help us see the lives on the road that you want us to care for. Give us the grace to to take the step, whatever it may be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.